Hi, welcome to episode four? Four. Oh, four. oh man, I'm, I'm good at this. Of the Casual Try Hard podcast. I'm Brian. And I'm James. And uh, today we have a big episode of running uh, over kind of what James did this past weekend yep. and starting to touch on the uh, building of a sideboard and how to sideboard. Yeah. Uh, so first, as, as always, uh, we, want, we want some feedback. Let yep. us know what we're doing well and what we're not. And what you want to hear about. Uh, the big thing from last week was oil your chair. Yeah. So uh, this week's podcast is brought to you by WD-40. Yep, we oiled uh, the chair. We oiled the chair, so we, we do listen. <laughs> uh, but uh, if you want to get a hold of us, uh, we're Casual Tripod on Twitter. Uh, casual Tryhard MTG on Facebook. And again, you can email us at uh, casual, tryhard MT- casual Tryhard MTG at, at Gmail. So, uh, and uh, I got an email that I can try to load stuff up to the Google Play Store. So that is that is our next conquest will be yep. Google Play. Also, we implore you to tell your friends about our awesome plat podcast. Yeah, uh, smash those like and subscribe buttons. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I got I got I got to quit my job at some point. So, <laughs> like and subscribe buttons, my friends. Yeah. I think that's how you do that. So, um, we're gonna kind of walk through. Uh, the the one day in James's life as an RPTQ grinder. <laughs> RPTQ grinder. grinder. I've been to three in my life. I'm now a grinder. <laughs> that is three more than me, good sir. So grind away. Yep. So sadly, this form of tournament probably that was the last one, right? That Does it kind of go the away? Last one, yeah. Um, it's kind of sad because I feel like we kind of got introduced to that whole tournament series kind of late in its life and i wish we had done more um, yeah because we didn't start traveling till yeah. like only a couple years ago like two well, three years not even just traveling though like we we'd go hit up iqs and stuff but we never did pptqs and they were a lot of fun yeah. i had a lot of fun traveling around meeting new people and playing in karate studios with santa claus yeah that was a weird one it's <laughs> uh, a cool story i mean i go back but that's a weird one uh, you guys have to tune in for Santa Santa Magic at some other point. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm assuming that even though this kind of thing's going away, there's gonna be something to replace it at some point. Yeah, they're supposed to be doing, I believe they're mythic qualifiers is what they're gonna call them. Um, you will have to earn an invite to play in one. Um, I believe I heard a rumor that that's gonna be done through Planeswalker points. Okay. So, you want to talk about Planeswalker points for a second? Sure. So, Planeswalker points, if you have a DCI number, which if you've played in, like, any, like, FNM, you should have a Planeswalker number. Yeah, DCI number. Uh, DCI number, I'm sorry. Yeah. Those, uh, there's, like, a little activation thing on the back that you can go activate, then you can go to, like, I just Google, like, Planeswalker points. Yeah, if you Google Planeswalker points, it brings it. And you can go in... Uh, if you've re- activated your card, you can log in and you can see how many Planeswalker points you have. And so this, basically, you get it's it's soccer scoring. Uh, it's three points for a win, one point for a draw, and no points for a loss. And various events have, so you just gather points as you play. Yeah, so like when you play an FNM, you'll get points for all your, everything you do at FNM um, during pre-release. Anything that's... Uh, Event that's registered on Wizards website, you'll get Planeswalker points for. 
Now, some of the a little bit larger events, things that are like half a step or a step above FNM, will have a multiplier on them so that you can earn even more points. So even like standard showdown, which is pretty casual, I think is yeah. a two-point multiplier. So yeah. if you get three wins and a loss, that's nine Planeswalker points, plus you get one point for participating. So that'd be 10. With the multiplier, you get 20 points. Yeah. Uh, if you go to PPTQs, are, are, were four-point multipliers? I believe so. And then like uh, Grand Prix were eight-point multipliers. Yep. So, a good Grand Prix weekend would get you 200 Planeswalker points yeah. or more. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, side events at Grand Prix are also have a multiplier. They're also, yeah. like, a two or a four multiplier. Yeah, I think they're four. So, that was a way. I know I had uh, GP weekends where I would, you know, play side events on, like, a Friday. Yeah. Play the main event. And then play again on play. Hopefully we play day two. That's only happened twice. <laughs> play side events on, on uh, Sunday, uh, crush some fools and some legacy, yep. and get 300 Planeswalker points. Yeah, in the, the weekend. Yeah, in the old system, you needed 1,250 points, and that got you a first-round buy. Yep. And 2,250 was a... Uh, two-round buy. Was a two-round buy. I think I like I think I got that like once and that's when I played like almost every day. Yeah, I have uh I have never been lucky enough to earn enough planeswalker points for a two round buy. Um, yeah. I can usually get enough to more than qualify for a one round buy, um just with the amount of magic that I normally play. Um but I don't think I've ever had a two round buy. Yeah, so depending on where they set the cutoff, yeah. it could really like incentivize you to have to go out and play. Mm-hmm. And it would incentivize like traveling to, mm-hmm. to bigger inve- events yeah. if going to a Magic Fest right. is a way to get 300 points. If the, yeah. if the cutoff is 2,000, yeah. right, you would need, you know, you went to four Magic Fests and then did your regular playing. You could hit that yeah. benchmark in, in a year. It would also be interesting like if they like reset it every like quarter. Um, well, they currently reset yearly in like the they beginning do. of June, right? Yeah, it's super weird. It's the beginning of June. Yeah, uh, randomly. Yeah, but then pro points didn't reset till August. Yeah, they're not a thing anymore. Yeah, it was it was weird that. though that they had two systems yeah. and they didn't reset at the same time. So okay, so when you get your when you inevitably play a whole bunch of Magic and yep. you get your uh, uh, invite to Mythic qualifier, Mythic qualifier it's gonna. gonna be probably feel a little bit like an RPTQ. I would imagine it's going to be pretty similar. Yeah. So uh, for all of us who have not uh, won a PVTQ, <laughs> uh, what is what does what is an RPTQ like? Um, what is the vibe? It feels a lot like day two of a GP. Um, it's a different kind of player that's there. Um, normally they take the game a little bit more seriously. Um, I mean, everybody is obviously having fun. It's a game. You're supposed to have fun. Um, but the stakes are a little bit higher. Um, an RPTQ qualifies you for the Pro Tour, and you get a travel award. So there's a, there's a lot of incentive to do well. Um, so the, the vibe, as you called it, is uh, a little bit more competitive. Um, there are... How do I want to say it? Um, there's no takesies-backsies. Like the rules are stricter. 
Um, the punishments are a little stricter for breaking the rules. Um, there are more judges floating around making sure things are done properly. Um, you kind of, like aside from, you know, knowing your deck and knowing your sideboard, you kind of have to know the game a little bit better too because there can be no gray area. Like when you're sitting down across from somebody at FNM and you're going through your turn, there's a lot of shortcuts that people take. Tapping your lands, no, I want to tap these instead. Uh, flipping the wrong card out of your hand. Like that kind of stuff happens in mm -hmm. Magic, um, but it really can't happen at a competitive level at this high-level tournament. Um, so you kind of have to slow down and walk yourself and your opponent through your turns. Like if you cast your Bounding Crisis and go to put your counters on the Crisis, you missed your cast trigger. Bounding Crisis? Or uh, not Bounding Crisis, uh, Hydroid Crisis. Yes. You missed the cast trigger. Technically, you, you draw your cards before it comes into play. Yeah, you draw your cards and you gain your life before the card comes into play. And if you have, you know, put the card into play and put your dice on it, it's there and you missed your trigger. You don't get your cards or your life. Now, if you, like, acknowledge it, if you say, like, I'm going to cast uh, Hydrocrasis for six, and I'm going to draw my three, draw three cards right. and gain three life and put it down and put your dice on it, you've, you've acknowledged right. this is a thing that's happening. Yeah. But if you just go, like, X is six, put your counters down and not acknowledge that you've missed it. Which is a hard thing to kind of get used to because I it think is. a lot of things that get done at FNM are done like backwards. Right. And sometimes people get a little grumpy if you're like, well, no, like yeah. it's cool, but you need to do it this way. Yeah. A lot of times at FNM, I'll mention that also, mm -hmm. especially if I'm playing with, you know, a more casual player or a newer player. Um, I'll tell them that, you know, this is fine the way you're doing it. I understand what's happening. Playing in the store, it's not a big deal. But this is how this works. Mm -hmm. And then I'll explain to them, you know, why it works that way or whatever. I was in so. day two of, was it, Amonkhet uh, Limited mm -hmm. and just got beat by the way better black green deck at my table. Uh, and his, his friend was like, you resolved like every one of your triggers wrong for some card. And he's like, well, clearly you guys had a rapport. And I was like, was I knew what he was doing like it was fine like yeah. I wasn't anything that, that impacted anything right and I was like yeah like whatever uh but he's like you need to be way more clear and that is a big thing is just like clear communication well like, I'm doing this yeah that kind of leads into like a whole nother topic though about like angle shooting yeah because because it's a higher stakes tournament and there are more competitive players there there are players that will take advantage of that and yeah. say absolutely not you you know did whatever you missed this trigger you went to your second main phase didn't attack whatever whatever it happens to be there are people that will call you on it and play whatever issue happened to their benefit yes so. and as angle shooting implies uh, angle shooting, if you don't know, is like it's within the rules, but it's a little sketchy. Yeah. Uh, they will also do other things that might not be yeah. that they they may not communicate clearly, not because they're not good communicators or know yeah. that they have to, because they hope that if they catch you in it, if they get into a gray area, yeah. you'll let them get away with something. Right. Right. So there that's is a, that thing. That's one of the announcements that. If you go to any larger event, there's a player meeting beforehand, and usually the judges give a spiel 
and that's one of the things that the judges always say also, is that your opponent wants to win and does not have your best interests at heart. Yeah. So. so. I was getting stomped. It didn't matter what the guy did. I was like, <laughs> yeah. like you can, doesn't matter how you resolve this, I'm a dead person. Uh, so, okay, so it's a different environment. Yeah. Like, in their long, right? Like, long, almost like a GP uh, per daily? Yeah, I mean, like I said, this is basically, in a lot of ways, it's very similar to day two of a GP. Um, everybody there has earned their spot by winning a tournament to get to this point or going forward it will be you know by playing a whole bunch of magic everybody there has earned their right to be there it's not like you know random guy in the corner playing edh can say oh that looks like fun come over and play that's not not how it works so but i mean like so did you bring anything that you wouldn't just bring to FNM? Like, because it's a longer yeah, event. it was yeah. six rounds uh it was six rounds top eight and I believe we were four people short of seven rounds, top 16. So four more people, and it would have been a way longer day. Um, so, yeah, there, there is a bunch of stuff that you should bring with you to, you know, a longer event and to a more competitive event. Um, at a more competitive event, one of the things that a lot of FNM players don't realize is that Keeping track of your life on a spin down is not a very good idea because the table can get bumped, the dice can roll. There's no way to look back and yeah, see. Yeah, there's no record like, of If it. there's a discrepancy between what you have your life at and what your opponent has your life at, you don't have a record of what happened. You can't go back and figure it out. So the best way to do it is with pen and paper. Um, almost every competitive player carries around you know, a little square of paper and a pen, and that's how they keep track of their so absolutely make sure you have pen and paper. Uh, pen is also important for filling out your deck registration sheet mm -hmm. at the start of the tournament. Um, a lot of times we'll have pens there, but I always like to bring my own. Oh, real quick. If you're a fan of the pod and you love Cameron, your deck name should always be something stomping. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Or for a long time it was uh, something something without the death shadows, right? Yeah, uh, that was because uh, Bowman was playing Jund at a... Uh, at a, uh, a modern event, and I forget who it was. I don't remember his name, but I, I can see him in my in my head. He, uh, Quick, mm -hmm. was like, isn't that just Death Shadow without the Death Shadows? <laughs> and so so the the pillar of the modern format, Jund, was yeah. relegated to Death Shadow without the Death Shadows. Yeah. So uh, things, were, <laughs> things were without the Death Shadows for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, Cameron always plays something stompy. Uh, Berserk Stompy is yeah. Legacy Infect. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway. Yep. Anyway, so keep that in mind for your deck <laughs> for your deck names when you when you register them. Uh, okay, pen and paper so you yep. keep track of life. Yeah. All right. Um, I always bring something to munch on, whether it's a granola bar or I know my friend Brian right here is a big fan of trail mix and fruit snacks. Trail mix and fruit snacks. Yep. Um. There's not a whole lot of time between rounds to run somewhere and grab a burger. Um, depending where you are, sometimes the venue will have concessions, sometimes they won't. But even if they do, they're usually expensive and not the best food. Yeah. Um, I always try and bring some sort of snack and at least one bottle of water. Um, the events are very mentally taxing, and it's important to uh, keep your blood sugar up and stay hydrated. I remember uh, the first team event we played in, 
um, I was on fire for like was it five rounds. The first five mm-hmm. rounds, I didn't drop a game. And then we got like one o'clock and uh, I went downhill fast because I didn't take time to you know, grab a snack and whatever. Um, ever since then, I have made sure to always bring you know, some sort of snack and water. I, I, always, I, always, I always played Team Dad and pack snacks. Yeah. Uh, or Team Mom, maybe, yeah. and pack snacks. <laughs> Fruit snacks and trail mix and a granola bar for everyone. Yeah. Uh, so, you should, right, this is the tournament that you won something to get to, yeah. or like a GP that you're driving to get to. Like, yeah. you want to practice your deck, yes. and you want to make sure that you are familiar with it. Yes. And while there are always stories of the people that like stopped at a gas station and saw a bird fly overhead and they were like, Oh, I should play swans today. Yeah. And then win the <laughs> tournament because they audibled. Yeah. Don't There's, do that. There are way more stories I can tell you of yeah. like, I was going to play this, but now I think I'm going to play this and like, yeah. Oh five, like hate yourself. Yeah. This happened to, uh, to some close, close friends of ours, good friends of the podcast. Yes. Um, I believe I'm guilty of that at one point. Um, was it GPDC like two years ago? The switch to was it Just Guy God Pharaoh's gift like at the last minute? It may have been completely bombed. Um, it pays to be familiar with your deck. It pays to know all of the lines with your deck inside and out. Um, trust me, you will do better. If you bring something you practiced as opposed to whatever the new hotness is that came out two days before the tournament that you're not familiar with. So that that is important. Do not talk yourself out of a deck on the way to the event. I might be playing a lazy event this weekend with a deck I've never sleeved up before. Oh, what are you playing this weekend? I might play Sneak and Show. Oh, nice. Because it's sleeved up, but I've never played it in a competitive (laughs) tournament. And, like, well, I can't do any worse than in my last legacy event. So so we're just going to see how true that is. Um, but you should also make sure you like find all the info about the event. Yeah. So the PPTQ that I won, um, I'm trying to think of what, there were four different times that the group of guys I went with were told that the event started at. So I believe Cameron found it first and the event said it started at one or something. Um, I had called the day before actually called them. And they told me it started at 12.30. Um, Christos had called that morning, and they told him it started at 12. And when we got there, the sign out front said it started at 12.15. So we were all in contact with people running the event, and we're told four different times the event started at. This RPTQ um, had been scheduled for yesterday, Sunday. There's something going on on Sunday. Uh, yeah, four months. And it, there were even people talking about it at the event that they couldn't believe that it was switched to Saturday so late. There was only like a week's notice that it was switched to Saturday. So if somebody had been playing on Sunday and never bothered to call and verify what time the event started at, they would have been very disappointed. Yes, they would have totally missed out. Yeah. So... Make sure you like take a second to call ahead and make sure you know when it when it is. Yeah, where it is. Sometimes the venue changes. Yeah. Um. So I guess we have the the big question. Yeah. How'd you do? Meh. Meh. Yeah, I did meh. Um, I'm not 
unhappy with my performance. I went 50-50. It was 3-3 three and three through the Swiss. Um, could have definitely done better. Um, also could have done way worse. Um, I think there were 44 people there that showed up. Okay. Um, I believe I came in 23rd after however it worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, had fun. It was, it was a good event. Good. good. Obviously, I wish I had done better, but... You're not going to London, so... Unfortunately, I'm not going to London. On on a, a Mark Rose Aldridge's dime. That's right. Yeah, and personally, yeah. <laughs> personally, Rosewater. Yeah, I went to big, big comedic checks signed Mark Rosewater. Yeah. I mean, we could just get one of those. <laughs> <laughs> Hang or, it up on the wall in the studio casual tryhard here. Yeah, when we... <laughs> when we get to, like, 10 subscribers. We'll, <laughs> yeah, we'll get one made. How do you do that? Our first dollar. <laughs> Our first dollar, yeah. Uh, so, okay. So, what... So, this was an RPG. What, were the, what did the prizes look like? What, what would you... What, what kind of what's like the, okay. the incentive other than um, going to the Pro Tour? Well, I mean, that's the big incentive. That's why everybody in the room is there is to earn their seat to the Pro Tour. So um, this event was a little on the small side. So I think we were on the minimum prize structure. Um, everybody in the room, part of qualifying for an RPTQ, uh, part of your winning or whatever, is you get a promo, which is usually pretty valuable. Um, this time around, it was Noble Hierarch. So everybody in the room got a Noble Hierarch promo. A shiny $100 bill? Yep. It is a pretty, pretty, pretty magic card. Um, normally at these things, you also get a deck box also, which are, I guess, desirable. Somebody was telling me that they eBay for a decent buck. I don't know how true that is. I like mine. I'm not selling them, but. Um, but this time around, I'm not sure if it was because um, they're not having pe- or RPTQs anymore or what the deal was, but there were no deck boxes this time, which is kind of a bummer. Um, top 16 normally get play mats. I didn't stick around for top 8. I wasn't in top 16, so I don't know if play mats were given out or not. Um, and then both finalists got an invite to the Pro Tour and a travel award, I believe. Okay. So first and second place. Um, third and fourth each got a booster box of Ravnica Allegiance, so 36 packs. Um, ninth through... Fifth through no, eighth? Yeah, fifth through eighth, sorry. Uh, got 24 packs. And then ninth through 16th got 15 packs. Not bad. No, no, they no. pay out really well. Not a bad day's work. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I didn't make the money, but... These things happen. Yeah. I didn't make the tournament. Again. Yeah. <laughs> they, uh, these events in particular, I believe, are subsidized by Wizards. Mm-hmm. Um, the entry fee can vary widely. Um, this one was $15. I think the last one I played in was 5 bucks. Oh, one, wow. Yeah, the one before that was 15 um, so they, I believe the prize is subsidized by Wizards. They give away product to the store to distribute for the event, so I don't think it comes out of the store's pocket. That's why prize is a little bit better. Yeah. So, so what, what does the RPTQ, uh, metagame look like? Or what did you play against? What did you see in the room? What was going on? Um, I saw a lot of mid-range, a lot of Sultai, a lot of Esper. Um, decks like that tend to be better 
in the hands of a better player mm-hmm. because you get more options and you can have more lines accessible to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of a deck that a lot of that type of player gravitate towards. Um, I played against Mono Red round one and got steamrolled. Um, I believe he was the only Mono Red player in the room. I didn't okay. see any other Mono Red. Um, round two, I got paired against Nexus Oof. and got steamrolled. Well, not really steamrolled because it took 35 minutes for my game two. But uh, got run over there. Um, I believe he was the only Bant Nexus player in the room. Um, after that, I played Esper Midrange and got that. I played the Mirror and I won that one. Um, I played Esper Control and got got. And then I played the Mirror in my last round and I won that one. Um, other decks I saw, there were two Gates lists there. Two people okay. playing Gates. Uh, Nexus of Gates or whatever you want to call it. Oof. Yeah. Not even the Good Gates. Not even the Good Gates deck. Yeah. It's a Ram-free zone. I don't approve of that. <laughs> um, so there were two people on that. Um, the one guy on Bant Nexus. There was the guy that actually won the PPTQ that was at our store. Uh, was there playing Jund, which was basically... Like kind of what the current uh, Sultai lists are, mm-hmm. um, where it's just Golgari splashing Crisis. Um, this was Golgari splashing like Angrath and some removal. Okay. Um, I think he had Phoenixes out of the board and maybe a Hellkite, but it was basically like the Explore Golgari. The like Bedevil. Yeah, I think Bedevil was in there. That'd be like an easy red splash. Yeah. Um, I didn't get a chance to talk to him personally, but I heard him talking to somebody else while I was playing a game, and he said Angrath was an all-star this weekend because you just steal, steal their crisis, smack them over the head, and then... It goes away. Yeah, then you sacrifice it. He said it's been great. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I saw... There was one mid-range, um, like Mardu-Judith list that looked interesting that was running... Um, not really the sticky creatures that come back like a lot of Judith lists mm-hmm. do, but it was more like a mid-range um, like value deck that uh, was running Angrath also for the Crisis decks. Um, that list looked pretty cool. There was one guy there on Mono Blue. Um, there was one guy there on Drake's. And pretty much the whole rest of the room was either like Esper Midrange, Esper Control, or various flavors of Sultai. Not to be... That's what you would expect, right? Yeah, I mean, that's no, that's 100% Based, based on what, like, like the first big tournament was the yeah. SCG tournament, yeah. and, like, Sultai did well, and then uh, Fly at Darby has yeah. been, had been streaming his Esper list, and mm-hmm. then it did well. So it makes sense that that would be what, what people would gravitate towards. Yep. And like I said, it makes sense for um, like this caliber of player also. Yeah, because they get to keep the, keep their options open. They want to feel like they can out. They want to have the ability to outplay someone. Right. All right. So that was kind of the the more recent mm-hmm. uh, stuff, and then we have kind of an evergreen topic that's going to be going to be starting this. It's probably <laughs> going to take 
a little to a lot of time to kind of go through the whole thing well. Yeah, I don't know if you want to do like a entire episodes on this or whether we should just touch on parts of it over the course of the next few episodes. Yeah, I don't think we... there's a lot of information here. Yeah, and it's, it's hard to, I think it'd be a grind to go through, which part of what we're talking about, to yeah. go through sideboarding. Sideboarding, yeah. So on Friday before uh, James made his solitary drive to Raleigh? Uh, Durham, yeah. Durham. And it was a solid three hours and 45 minutes. Whew. Yeah, I left my house at a little after five in the morning. Okay. So before he made that uh, drive, I we stood outside the store and talked about his sideboard. Yep. And what he was going to try to do and stuff like that. And I thought that would be a good conversation to kind of have here mm-hmm. or to kind of like hit the high points. So we when you talk about what you're doing with a sideboard, yep. and those are the kind of discussions you have when you're trying to build a sideboard. Mm-hmm. So one thing, so going back to our net decking topic, yep. sometimes people will have a 60-card deck, a 15-card sideboard, yep. and then they will tell you take these cards out and put these cards in. Yep. Typically, they'll give you a little blurb, maybe a couple lines of like what you're trying to do in that matchup. Yeah. But they don't give you, typically there's not a ton of that. It's just like, take these out, put these in. And a lot of times that little blurb is actually more important and more relevant than what the actual cards are. Because if you're just net decking and copying a list to go play in whatever event you're going to play in, um, things change. Like if you don't like a particular card, you swap it out at the last minute. Well, that throws off kind of the whole sideboard plan. If you're playing a different version of a deck, like say you have a solid sideboard plan for um, Esper midrange, and then your opponent round one is on Esper midrange, but they're in a little bit different build of it, that can change how you sideboard too. So if you read the blurb, if there is one, or if you can come up with like something in general that you want to do in the matchup, a lot of times that'll help you a lot. So you're, with your sideboard, you need to think you're not building a 60-card deck and a 15-card sideboard. Yeah. You're trying to build a 75-card deck. Right. Then you play 60 of those cards at a time. Yep. Right? So like you were saying, your sideboard can really change your basic game plan mm-hmm. against a certain matchup and will change how your deck plays. So mm-hmm. kind of the... the, the uh, examples of this, like you have like the no creature game one control decks. Right. The game two, their assumption is you're gonna rem- you're gonna take out your removal and try to like fight them, fight their non creature spells and their planeswalkers. Yeah. So they bring in sticky threats. Right. They bring in legion war boss that like yeah. makes a token. So if you kill the guy, there's a token left. Yep. Or they bring in rekindling phoenix. Yep. And if you've somehow left in removal. They get their phoenix back, so you have to have removal again and again. So you go from no creatures to some creatures in a control deck. Yep. Aggro decks classically get a little bit bigger. Yeah. In sideboard, they go from being these low to the ground, maybe top out at three or maybe four mana spells. Yep. They get bigger. They might go to four and five mana spells. They'll yep. cut their one drops and they'll become more of a mid-range deck. Yeah, so Mono Red would cut, you know, some of the early stuff, like maybe your uh, 
firebrands or whatever. That's probably not a great example, but cut one of your low drops and bring in either Phoenix or Siege Gang Commander or Bane Fires, or if you're expecting the game to go long, if you're mm-hmm. expecting your opponent to slow down the game, you want to do something that's because. relevant in the late game. If you're drawing your Fanatical Firebrand on turn 9, chances are it's not going to impact the game. Whereas if you draw a Phoenix on turn 9, that demands an answer immediately and is something, it's a very specific answer that it demands. So, and then uh, a lot of times mid-range decks will try to get more controlling Mm -hmm. or go, again, they'll try to go a little bit bigger than their opponent. So they might bring in additional Planeswalkers because it requires a different type of answer than just their their generic creatures. Yeah. like the the Sultai decks now, they bring in a bunch of counter spells to fight specific cards that they might have problems yeah, with. Disdainful stroke or negate. So when you're thinking about what you want your deck to do in a certain matchup, you want to go you want to think about, well, what cards are available to help me make whatever transition I need to make mm-hmm. in my uh with my deck. Mm-hmm. And this kind of goes back to the talk that we had on Friday before I left for my tournament, right? We were talking about the, uh, the discard slots in the sideboard of Sultai mm-hmm. was the deck I was playing this weekend. And how if I expected to play the Mirror a whole bunch or Esper midrange, Duress really isn't where you want to be. You no. want something that's going to hit their threats. So something that would hit, you know, obviously anything Duress would, but would also take care of Carnage Tyrant or Crisis is Thought Erasure. Yeah. So it was one of the one of the decisions that we talked about and I made going into the weekend was I swapped two duresses out for two thought erasures and found room for another blue source in the main deck to support them. So you want to think about so that's a good example of thinking about like well what are the decks I'm expecting to see mm-hmm. and then how can I make the um, how can I make my how do I see how do I want the games to go. And what cards can I bring in to make the games go in that direction? Mm-hmm. Right? So, right, it's really hard to win the back and forth with Sultai if you cast a Crisis and they cast a Crisis. Yeah. You're, like, not up any cards. Right. Right? You made a 6-6 six, six and drew three cards. They yeah. made a 6-6 six, six and drew three cards. You're at parity. Yeah. But if on turn three or four you take their Crisis, yeah. now you get the 6-6 six, six and the three cards and they don't. Yeah. You're way far ahead. Yeah. They just won you the game. Okay. Um, so, you know, I think something that may not have worked out well for you was Unmoored Ego. Oh, man. But, I hate that. I hate that kind of card in general. I never play them in my sideboard. But I did this weekend, and it's good that I did, because now it's something we can talk about, because I get questions about cards like this all the time in people's sideboards. So we had talked about uh, uh, we had talked about well if you're gonna play against Nexus yeah. like uh, or just random thing you weren't expecting unmoored yeah. ego some people had, had unmoored ego to Hydroid Crisis yep. uh, in in matchups brought in unmoored ego as kind of a gener- generic catch all for randomness yeah things like decks that you're not expecting are hard to sideboard for so. Unmoored Ego is something to kind of clean those matchups up. 
Um, I didn't have a ton against like whatever the wilderness reclamation decks were. I didn't, wasn't sure if they were going to show up in any relevant numbers or not. I wanted something in that matchup. I was trying to think of something proactive to take care of Crisis, um, and I wanted something for the Nexus decks. So against my better judgment, I settled on Unmoored Ego. And while in the first mirror match that I played, it worked out very well. I was able to strip all the Carnage Tyrants and Hydroid Crisis out of my opponent's deck and left them with a bunch of ham sandwiches to try and kill me with. Um, when I went to play Nexus, I in game two, uh, I cast turn one Llanowar Elf, turn two Unmoored Ego, named Nexus, stole all the Nexuses out of his deck, and lost that game 35 minutes later to Teferi. I hate Teferi. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and then I, I, in, in our notes, he says, if I would have named Teferi, he would have scooped, because he had no win cons. Yeah, that was the only way he had to win in the entire deck. Had I named Teferi on turn two, he, he told me this afterwards. He said, I have no win cons, that the game's over. Sadness. Yep. The rubbins. Yep. <laughs> uh, um so so but we're so you want to think okay what do i what decks do i uh what decks do i think there are how do i let them to play out so like against sultai if you if you made the game go longer mm -hmm. and they didn't have crisis and yep. you did you eventually win yep. right uh if you know against the nexus decks the thought of taking nexus is, well if you can't lock me out by taking all of the turns yeah then I can deal with your Teferi because yeah. I'm a pile of removal and creatures. Yeah, well, you have to see the pile of removal in order to take care of Teferi is the problem. Ah. Yeah. Right. Or, you know, if you get a little more, if you're in a more aggressive deck, right, you, maybe you want to try to, maybe you think your your plan to win your, your game is to get on board or early. So yeah. maybe you have to cut some of your higher drop stuff so you have some more aggressive, yeah. leaner answers. Right. So... So you kind of want to think about like what is our um, what is how do you see the the games playing out? How can you or how do you want the games to play out? How can what cards you can play to get the games there? Yeah, right. And so then you start going through all the cards in standard and start thinking about what you can do. So, uh, oh, we have a we have a good story from when we played. That that team tournament that you 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 killed, where yeah. we where we were playing uh, Mardu vehicles in the standard seat of uh, the great and powerful Cameron and uh, Mai's uh, team with uh, Anthony uh, Majorano, uh working working the vehicles and uh, the other deck in the format was Teamer Energy, yeah. which was just a pile of ridiculous text proofy creatures that got giant, yeah. among other things, and we were like. This person has what was that card? Fumigate, which yeah. is three white white destroy all creatures. You gain one life for each creature destroyed this way. And Brian Brown doing I think had two in his sideboard. And we're like that seems dumb. And then by the end of brainstorming how we yeah. want things to go, we we're like we're playing three of these. Logan was like I I think we're playing three. Yeah. And we you went up a land too, right? So we went can... we went up a land yeah. and we we played that and we ended up. Uh, he won a game, I think, on his second or third one, where his opponent like 
had a mini meltdown. Yeah. What? What? Another one? <laughs> as as he as he got all of his creatures blown up again. Yeah. And it was just like, yeah, like I have this planeswalker, and he makes creatures, and he also makes my heart of Curran go, so I get to win now. Yeah. And that was that was our plan. So we took a deck that was like a a linear game one like aggro deck, and. Took out all the aggro and just were like, we're gonna blow up all your stuff and we're gonna play this control game with Chandra's and Gideons, Gideons and that's going to beat you. Yep. And it did. Yep. And but when we started, we were like, well, this is dumb. Like this deck's a pile of creatures. Like, why would I want to? And it's like, oh, because we can't win that matchup if they have creatures. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> cool. So you can do things like that where you wanna move your deck to like I can't win this game if it if it if it plays out the same way. Mm-hmm. So I've got to change how we do things. So when you look at all the cards in the format, sometimes you can play super narrow stuff like you said, like duress. Yeah. And duress is great. Mm-hmm. Right? But then it's sometimes it's really good to have those like more catch all answers. Yeah. So you said like thought erasure was great because it yeah. hits everything. Thought erasure is great. I uh have some ideas for Sultai I'll be working on the next few weeks that uh, involve retooling the deck, and I believe Thought Erasure is going to be a big part there of are, that. There are definitely some lists now that have Thought Erasures in the main. Yeah. Where it's like like maybe taking some of the ham sandwiches slots yeah. and becoming just more of a a thing that, to help kind of bridge and get rid of those sticky threats that you can't deal with when they once they resolve. Yep. So another, like... Uh, example of a card that's just a really good like general answer and this you can thank our best of one overlords for this one <laughs> is Night of Autumn yeah Night of right? Autumn's great Night of Autumn you know you uh, can kill an, an artifact or enchantment yep. so if you have to worry if you need artifact removal mm-hmm. you can have it stuck to a 2-1 body yep. or it hits Wilderness Reclamation and Rhythm of the Wilds yeah and or Guild Summit Side. Sure, it hits ah. Guild Summit. <laughs> it's a real card. Also hits Gate Colossus. <laughs> also a real card. Um, it can just be a 4-3 body mm-hmm. that if you're playing against control and yep. you just need more sure. threats, you just need something to do, right? It does that. Yep. And it also hits their search for Asconda. Yep. Which feels real good. Yeah, it does. Uh... And it gains you four life. So if your mono red opponent is beating down and you play a 2-1 and gain four life, they have to kill your 2-1. They have to use a card on that or they just have to like throw a creature at it. And that gets you ahead. So there's a lot of these really broad cards. I think another one's like uh, Bedevil. Yeah. Right? It's destroy artifact creature or a... Planeswalker. Or Planeswalker, so it kind of does everything you needed to do. Mortify kind of falls in that boat, too, yep. where it's creatures or enchantments. Right, so these cards that are more broad are good as sideboard a- a- options because they you bring them in in multiple situations. Or yep. Crushing Canopy is another. Yep. Destroy a flyer or destroy an enchantment. So it gives you more flexibility. Mm-hmm. Those are the kind of sideboard cards that I like. Um I tend to play like more mid-rangey decks where I like to have an arsenal of tools at the ready to handle any situation. Um, so cards that can fill multiple roles are important. Um, 
I tend to not love playing silver bullet answers. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a time and a place for them, but I, as a general rule of thumb, that's not what I'm into. I would much rather change the way my threats line up to their removal, change the way my removal lines up to their threats, um, kind of change my game plan than just playing Blood Moon Go. The Blood Moon Go is often very effective. <laughs> sure, that's just not really the kind of game that I want to play a lot of, a lot of times. Fair. So... You have your, you've, you've kind of looked at the cards you want to, so there's, you have to think about, right? It's not just what cards you want to bring in, yeah. it's what cards you have to take out. Right. And that's where the idea of building a new 60-card deck comes from. Yeah, a lot of new players especially will say that they have a pretty good grasp of what needs to come in in a certain matchup, but they can't ever decide what has to come out. Mm-hmm. So, in that situation, you kind of have to, um, like, evaluate how you want the game to go, or and, how how you th- or how you think the game will go. Yeah, and then kind of adjust accordingly. Like like we were talking about earlier, if you expect the game to go real long and mono red, Manical Firebrand may or may not be what you want to see on turn ten. Yeah. So I been playing uh the 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 gates deck that mm-hmm. doesn't have nexus uh and it plays four guild summits that let you draw a card every time you play a game right those cards are kind of awful against mono red like yeah. you're not you're not like, stepping out on turn five to draw two cards yeah and you so like you have to look at your cards and go like is this game about me drawing six extra cards this game no, because no. I will die with six extra cards in my hand. Yeah, right. So you have to be like, well, what is? I often when I, especially when I'm sideboarding in standard, when I haven't like spent as much time at like FNM or whatever, mm-hmm. I go like, what is this game about? Yeah, and it's like, oh, this game's about them trying to get me dead, mm-hmm. and me trying to not let that happen. Right. right. A lot of times, like if you're playing a mid rangey, more mid rangey deck, and you're facing like mono red, um. A lot of times, if you can just survive, by the time you realize you've survived, you're in a good spot regardless of what you've done. Yeah. If you can make it to turn six or turn seven and you're not dead, chances are something went your way and you can kind of pull together a win from there. They're going to draw a fanatical firebrand. You're going to draw a hydroid crisis. Right. And then the game's going to swing in your favor. Yeah. And you'll be fine. So you have to look and think, well, what is this matchup about? Mm-hmm. It's about me surviving. Me spending three mana to get card advantage does not help me right. survive. Mass manipulation is great. I'm not going to pay six mana to get a 2-1. Right. right. That seems awful. That needs to go away. Yeah. Now, the cards that help me survive that are on my sideboard, they need to come in. Mm-hmm. Right. So you, a lot of times you have to think, you know, what is my opponent trying to do? How can I best interact with that with what I have? Yep. How can I stop them from doing that? Yep. As opposed to just being like, well, I know these have to come in, and I guess I'll cut these kind of random things. You kind of need to like kind of commit to this is how this game's gonna play. Yep. And how do I play this new game? Mm-hmm. Another thing that's kind of like the next level is knowing how your opponent or thinking how your opponent's gonna sideboard against you. 
So if you know they're trying to make the game go longer now, yeah. you know, maybe you have to hedge on some of your card advantage stuff. You're like, well, yeah. maybe I should keep one or two of these. Mm -hmm. So it's a delicate, like, balancing act. Well, kind of a good example of this is Last Standard. There was Jeskai Control that would bring in Lyra's post-board after your opponent took out all of their removal, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it might be correct to... Well, I mean, obviously, you're going to leave in your Vraska's Contempts if you're Golgari, but like your Chupacabras, a lot of times people would trim on Chupacabras. But, like, fail cases that, you know, that's a not very good threat, but it's a threat. You know, best case scenario is they tap out for a Lyra, thinking you don't have any removal left in your deck. You Chupacabra their Lyra, and then you're in a little bit better spot. Yeah. So, like, level one, uh, really, for starting out is, okay, I know how I want the game to play out. These are the cards that don't support that plan. I want to bring in the cards that do support that plan. So you have to have an idea of how the game's going to go. Now, you don't have to, like, decide this at the table. Right. Right? So when you're building your sideboard, that's when you're starting to think about how you want the plan to go. Yeah. Right? And you can... Get a sheet, and uh, we should maybe we should link ours because we do have a nice. I think one. we should, yeah. Right, I I'll have to like get into the Google Doc, uh, but we have a sheet that uh, you can put down your matchup, mm -hmm. what cards you think should come in, or what cards you plan to have come in, what yeah. cards you plan to come out. There's also another column for how we think that we're going to be boarded against. Yeah. I'll like. Since it's not usually not decks I play a lot, I will just put down like, well, they will they may bring in these cards. These yep. are the cards I need to have in the back of my mind of like I need to make sure that I'm aware that they're gonna bring in this and this is how it's gonna interact with me. Yep. Right. And so you can do that for every matchup you expect. Mm -hmm. Now in standard, that's usually six or seven decks. Yeah, if that. Right. Yeah, I guess usually it's right. Uh, when I do it for legacy team tournaments, yeah, that's like a full two page list of like fifteen decks. Yeah, I mean modern too. Like modern two, tier yeah. one and modern is twelve decks right now. And so you kind of have to. Sometimes you can lump those decks together how they're going to yeah. sideboard, but you can go through and have a plan for each and every deck. So when you sit down, you got this little paper folded up in your in your. Uh, your deck box mm -hmm. and then when you go to cyborg you can open it up and go okay this person was playing Sultai. i know that i want these cards to come in and these cards to go out and you've already thought about it yeah. right so uh if you can and this is this is where it's hard as a casual try hard yeah test test your cyborg games yeah a big pitfall on testing all done yeah. is Play a million game ones. And no game twos. So Realistically, when you're at a big event, two-thirds of your games are going to be sideboarded games. You know, your opponent wins game one, you got to take the next two, they're both going to be sideboarded. You need... That testing is more... It's at least as important, if not more important, than whatever your 60 is. Yeah. So... If you have a chance, play your sideboarded games. Yeah. And when you're playtesting, you can do things like put your cyborg put a cyborg card in your opening hand. Yeah. 
Well, a lot of times what we I know me and you have done this in particular while testing mm -hmm. is you'll take like the first 20 cards of your deck and whatever you're sideboarding, you'll shuffle some of them into, into that top section of yeah. your deck. That way, you don't know when you're going to draw it. You don't know which pieces they might be, but you're going to find some of your sideboard in your opening hand and maybe the next couple cards. And that way you can see, are these cards as impactful in the matchup yeah. as I thought they'd be? Yeah. Right? You might be like, oh, I think Sorcerer's Spyglass is great, and then you play it, and it gets blown up every time. You're yeah. like, oh, well, this might not be the right answer for... Yeah. For this for this deck, we're also gonna one of our ideas for an episode is gonna be on good testing practices too. So stay tuned for that. Stay episode. tuned. We'll we'll get there. Yeah. Um, also, be flexible. You have your list. Yeah. But don't be afraid based on how your opponent plays yeah. or what's going or kind of what's going on to make changes. Maybe you didn't test enough, yeah. and you played your sideboard cards and they were awful. Yep. You're like, well, that was not how this was going to happen. Like I said, sometimes builds change too. Like yeah. Just because, you know, you, you come up with a solid sideboard plan for Sultai mid-range with Krasis doesn't mean that your opponent sitting across from you that's on Sultai mid-range Krasis is playing the 60 cards that you came up with your, your plan for. Right. That happens a lot in, yeah. uh, in Pro Tour testing. Yeah. Right? The... the the testing house will come up with, well, this is the best version of this deck. Yeah. And then they will build their other decks to try to beat that deck mm -hmm. or build their cyborgs to, to play against it. And then they show up at the tournament and no one's playing their version, right? their best version of that deck. Yeah. So their cyborgs are all wrong or, yeah. or matchups that they thought were bad were actually good. Yeah. Right, so that can happen, you know, with your friends when you're getting ready. It's like I think this is the best version of the deck, and then no one agrees with you. Right, and you might have been right. Yep. But no one agreed with you. So now you've got to live <laughs> in the world where they're all wrong, but your sideboards are now still all wrong. Yeah. Right. So I was in a in in a GPDC. I think it was day two playing against a call him Japanese Bowman. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know exactly what I'm I talking know exactly about. Exactly who you're talking about. He had long hair. Was really very passionate about like oh gosh Netrunner. Uh, <laughs> had the, the same anime girl on his playmat. Had the right? same anime girl on his yeah. playmat. It was Japanese Bowman, yeah. um, and he was playing Teamer, and I had a sideboard plan for Teamer, uh, and I was on uh, God of Service games. I forget exactly what it was. I should have brought up the the sheet to look, but he would not trade a creature. I could just attack. Yeah. He was not willing to trade. And I was like, well, I can't board the way I was planning on because I was expecting someone who would engage in creature combat right. and he would not engage in creature combat. So I was like, all right, well, I can't board this way anymore. Let's throw that plan away and like, let's board against someone who doesn't want to block ever. And so I just had to be like, well, I need to change some of these cards. But, uh, and this is, these are the 15 cards I have to work with. So let's try to come up with someone who doesn't want to block. Yep. And... And I come up with a way to beat someone who wouldn't block and put my creatures in the graveyard. So, like, don't be like, like, well, I, I made the investment. 30 minutes coming up with this plan, I guess, is what or I'm more. doing. more. A yeah. lot of times it's more than 30 minutes. Right? And so, like, you don't want to, you don't want to step away from it. But yeah. at the same time, you kind of have to. Yeah. A lot of times have, you do. You just have to be like, well, this is, this is no longer going to work the way I wanted it to. Yep. Right? Uh... 
We can do a quick hit on modern. So this is just general stuff. Yeah. Uh, 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 well, we can do a quick hit on modern. Sure. One thing real quick about okay. modern before we get into what we're going to get into is if you are not a modern player, I highly recommend you play modern. Um, personally, I have learned so much about sideboarding from playing modern. Stuff that you would never get any other way because sideboarding is way more important in modern than it is in standard. Not saying it's not important in standard, but it's absolutely critical to you winning rounds in modern that you sideboard correctly and that you have a plan for all these decks. Um, that's kind of how I learned a lot of my philosophies about how I sideboard is when I started playing modern. Started playing elves and jund and you know, things that have specific plans for different decks. Um, it helped me immensely. So jump in to modern. So uh, I do like modern as well. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm more of a silver bowling guy myself. Uh, yeah. I want to win games quickly. Uh, <laughs> so so modern kind of has two things you have to be mindful of with your sideboards. One, you want to have those like general answers that you can bring in against multiple decks yeah. because you can sit down and play five of the same deck in a tournament yeah. or you can play nine totally different decks in your nine round tournament. You have no idea what's going to happen. So if you only have sideboard cards that are good against a few narrow decks, yeah. you're going to like not have anything you can change. Mm -hmm in other matchups. Uh, so that also leads people to play a lot of a lot of modern sideboards will have one ofs yeah. or one ofs that are seemingly similar. Also a lot of modern decks have a way to get through their deck also like mm -hmm. more than standard does. They have some form of card draw or card selection or ways to get to those sideboard cards. So you can kind of get away with running one-ofs where you really can't do that in standard when you're only getting the card you draw for your turn. Yeah, but you'll have one-ofs that'll be like rest in peace, and then some people will also play like a Graph Digger's Cage. Yeah. And they they do similar things, but slightly yeah. different things, and people will play like a mixture of sideboard cards mm -hmm. that might have some overlap because rest in peace might be really good against Dredge, but Graph Digger's Cage might have applications somewhere else. That Stacks Collected Company. Yeah, yeah. Where, you, where Rest in Peace doesn't do that. So right. you get some overlap where, like, well, this is the hard answer to this. Graph Digger's Cage also yeah. works there, but also works in this other matchup as well. Mm -hmm. So you kind of will have these, like, these uh, more diverse sideboards. Yep. Right? And also, this goes back to what we said in the standard stuff is, Cards that are really good in multiple matchups. Yeah. Like modal cards. Like, you know, when you first looked at a braid. Right. You didn't think legacy card. Right. But a braid gets played in legacy because it blows up a chalice of the void. Yeah. And it also kills a delver of secrets. Yep. And so you get two, you get to bring it in against two different decks. Two very different decks that don't have overlap in themselves. Like, you're not going to play against the Chalice of the Void Delver of Secrets deck. No. Well, if you do, there's a problem. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, you should get a W. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. But you you have these very... It, it's a card that does two very different jobs. Yeah. It gets two very different decks, but it's one slot. Right. Because 
you can't answer all of the cards in all the possible decks in Modern or Legacy if you play Shatter, right? Shatter isn't good enough, but a Shatter plus uh, a Lightning Strike. So, so, So Modern has these broader answers, but they also have very specific silver bullet type answers. Yeah. That the that the that the idea is my deck is terrible against X deck, yeah. but if I draw this one card, my opponent can't win. Can never ever win. Yeah. And so Rest in Peace falls in that yeah. where it's you know, if they're playing dredge and you play Rest in Peace, yeah. they probably can't win. Every judge player boards in all three nature's claims or all four nature's claims they have against every deck that has white. Because you know that they're going to bring in rest in peace. peace. Like you just have to, right? I can't beat affinity ever, but if I bring in stony silence, my win rate goes from zero to like 80 or 90%. I can still lose to beats. Right. So their modern is full of these cards that because they have a bunch of, very focused linear archetypes, mm-hmm. those very focused linear archetypes lose to very focused yeah. specific hate cards. Um, it also kind of goes back to what we were talking about last week with uh, the tiers of the metagame, though, right? Because if uh, Rest in Peace decks didn't exist, something like Dredge could legitimately be tier zero. Mm-hmm. So it kind of keeps people honest. I don't want to be honest. I want to play Snake. I want to play Golgari Grave Troll. Bring him back. Bring him back. Yeah, they tried that. Then it left again. They overreacted. They overreacted. This isn't fun. (laughs) Playing against Nexus isn't fun either, but here we are. This is the world we live in. This is the world we live in. We play against Nexus all the time. So that is kind of our primer for sideboarding. Yep. So think think big. You're making a big 75-card deck. Yep. Think about how you want your games to play out mm-hmm. and what cards get you there. So the cards that you have to take out to support that plan mm-hmm. and the cards that you bring in to support that plan. Yeah, the plan is almost as important as the cards themselves are. This goes back to the the little blurb that they put over yeah. the uh, uh, the what cards to bring in, what cards to take out yeah. in, uh, in the sideboarding guides. Because they might say something like, Know, the games need to go longer or yeah. the games get longer and grindier so you yeah. need these threats and not these things yep. and so you should have that in your mind like okay what how is this game going to turn out mm-hmm. and if you have time test your plan yes uh, because you don't want to you know it's never ideal to be at the tournament and be like oh this does not work the way I thought it did yeah. or or you bring in a cyborg card and it's like that card does not do anything in this matchup like so there are sometimes you might think a card's really good but it doesn't actually do anything like a lot of people will misplay Grafdigger's cage yeah where they think it does way more than it does i'm trying to think what the example is uh where they think it stops something from happening well it doesn't stop living in right doesn't stop living that's in the, that's the big one that people always think it does yeah, because the cards, the creatures don't come from the graveyard. They come from exile. They come from exile because of the way Living End's worded. That is yeah. the, the quintessential example. So yeah. someone will bring in Living End, will be playing against Living End, and they'll bring yeah. in Grafdigger's Cage, and they just, and they draw it in their opening hand. They're like, yeah. got you, and they play Grafdigger's Cage, and 
four turns later, their opponent puts all their cards on the table. And, uh, and then cries. And then cries. Yeah. I once played against someone where uh, I was playing Legacy. I was playing Turbo Depths. These were the days. And I, <laughs> he was playing uh, Food Chain. Oh, yeah, this is a good story. Food Chain um, is two and a green for an enchantment, I do believe. And you sacrifice a creature, and you gain life. No, you exile mana. a creature. You exile a creature. And you gain mana equal of any color equal to one plus is casting cost plus one. Yeah. So you play Mistalo Griffin. Is that it? I think so. Um, it's a, yeah. like a two blue blue flyer that you can cast it from exile. Yeah. So you. Exile it with food chain, you get a mana, and then you can make infinite mana off food chain and mystology. Uh, and I was going to lose the game to food chain and mystology griffin. So I named I played a pithy needle and named food chain. This does not work. Pithy needle does yeah. not stop mana abilities. Yep. Uh a judge came over for, for something and my opponent was like let me explain to him that Pithy Needle doesn't work on Food Chain. I looked at my opponent. I said, oh, I know. I just wanted to see if you did. Yeah. Sometimes you got to play to your outs. <laughs> Even if your out is your opponent being stupid. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes it works. It does not so, work. Sometimes it, it does work. After the game, you're like, did you really think I didn't know how that worked? I was like, I didn't know. Was, I had to find shot, out. Right? That was your line. His, his teammate was like, that was the right thing for him to do. I was like, I was dead. Like, I yeah. just needed to not be dead. I mean, that's kind of kind of the same idea as chalice too, though, right? Yeah. Like sometimes you just gotta cast your spells into a chalice because you don't have anything else to do. Yeah. I once won a match because my opponent did not realize that blood gas could not block. Yep. I made multiple attacks, leaving a blood gas back to appear to block, and then did not block with it because it cannot block. Yep. But my opponent after the game was like. Yeah, your creature was just holding me back, and I did not have the heart to tell him that Blood Gas <laughs> could not block. I was, I should have been in the O one bracket. I was not. <laughs> I've been lost to main deck. Rest in peace. <laughs> Good times. So, anyway, think about your sideboards. Think about having a plan. Don't just kind of throw cards in there and hope it works out. Yep. Uh, like every card you put in, you should think, well, this is for this matchup, and I have to take this card out for it. Yep. Uh, so anyway, that is our that is our pod. We're right around an hour, a little yeah, over. A little over. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, if there's anything specific about sideboarding you want to hear us talk about, or any questions that you have, please let us know. Please let us know. Again, Casual Tripod on Twitter. Uh, casual Tryhard MTG on Facebook. And again, you can email us at uh, casualtryhardmtg at gmail.com. So uh, that, we will see you uh, next week. Yep, we'll catch you at FNM.